the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFon. And joining me on this episode, it is guitarist, singer, Ricky Medlock from, of course, Leonard Skinner and Blackfoot. We talk about those two bands and the new Blackfoot and the new album, Southern Native. Plus, we also talk Zach Wilde, Kiss, and for some reason, Warrant. So stick around for that. Please check me out on Twitter at Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N, one-on-one Mitch LaFon on Facebook, paypal.me forward slash Mitch LaFon, should you care to support the podcast. And with that, here is the one, the only, Ricky Medlock. We are speaking with guitarist Ricky Medlock of Leonard Skinner and, of course, Blackfoot. Uh, Good day, sir. Pleasure to speak with you. Hey, Mitch. How you doing there, buddy? Good, good. I'm doing great. And and it's exciting to talk to you. I, I love talking to musicians like yourself that have had a storied career that understands what it is to be a working musician. So um, let's just start with that, and then we'll start talking about Blackfoot. But did you ever think that here you are, you know, almost, I guess, 50 years later, still doing it? Was that sort of within your dreams? <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I, uh, you know, I started out uh, in my life. Uh, first of all, my grandparents adopted me, and my grandfather, uh, Shorty Medlock, was an old, you know, uh, Delta Blues uh, country player that played uh, several, several instruments. And not only played them, but played them incredibly well. And I've often stated, and people have read where I said that he had far much more talent than I probably ever did. And uh, I think that looking back on it now, uh, I'm, I'm convinced, you know, that everything belongs to him when it comes to uh, what I've done in my life and what I've done in my career. Um, I started playing very, very very young. Um, he taught me how to play banjo at the age of three. And I've got pictures of me with him on a TV show, a country music show that originated out of Jacksonville, uh, called the Toby Dowdy show. And it was on, uh, what happened was his kind of interesting deal. Um, he was on the show and he had taught me to play, uh, a couple of songs on the banjo and he bought me a miniature five string and of course my hands being too small i didn't play the three finger style picking i kind of frammed it but i played the chords and you know played it correctly and he taught me a couple of songs and he went to the guy that was the star of the show the guy toby dowdy and he said um my grandson uh has learned how to play the banjo with me and we do a couple of songs and everything I wanted to know if it would be possible uh, for him to come on the show and appear with me in the band, uh, your band, you know, and do these song, do a couple songs. And Toby said, yeah, I think that would be pretty interesting, you know? So I did it. And from that moment on, the fan mail that came in for the show was overwhelming. And uh, I was a regular on it for five years and uh, along with my grandfather and uh so in the midst of all that at the age of five i took up playing guitar uh because he had his band and uh the guitar player you know i really uh took a liking uh to you know playing the guitar so my thing was at, at, at that young of age i was you know when you're that young you're very impressionable and uh the whole bit so i remember uh i remember at one point you know my parents bought me my first original transistor radio and in doing so of course you had you know limited rock and roll stations at that time but i remember there was a you know there was a rock and roll station in jacksonville and uh what was cool was the first time i ever heard you know elvis and, um, you know, Elvis had been on the Ed Sullivan show and stuff like that. And I'd seen him and listened to him on the radio and I was hooked. And I would, at night, my parents would have to come in and 
take the radio away from me because I'd go to sleep with it under my pillow, listening to the rock station. And what was cool, a um, little bit of a history, and I know I'm kind of drawing this out, but it, it, it's leading to what I'm getting at. My, uh, my grandfather was friends. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather was friends with a lady named May Axton, who was Hoyt Axton's mom. And she babysat for me several times. And so when Elvis was coming to Jacksonville in 56 to the Florida theater, he was coming for two shows. And what happened was, is that May Axton and a guy named Tommy Durden got in to see Elvis, got a meeting with him. And they went to meeting. They had a song that they wanted to play him. And they got in the scene. They played him the song. And he agreed to do the song because he loved it so much. And um, they worked out a business deal together. Well, anyway, that night, May couldn't go to the show on that one night and gave the tickets to my dad, to my granddad, and said, here, here's tickets, you know, take the family. Well, I was just thrilled because I went to the Florida theater. And by the way, where Skinner just recreated the first two records, the pronounced records and second helping at the Florida theater this last year. Right. So I'm right back in the Florida theater where I originally saw Elvis play. And here I am five years old, no, six years old and soon be seven. I'm six years old and I'm sitting there with my parents watching the King. And so that night when we left, I'll never forget my grandparents would tell you this right now, if they were alive, that I'm in the car in between them in the front seat. My grandfather looks over at me and he goes, well, Ricky, son, what did you think about all that? I said, I looked at both of them. I said, that's what I want to do. And I have ever since I've been a rock musician. Uh, I'm not a country musician. Uh, I'm not a, you know, a jazz guy. I'm not a, I'm a blues, I'm a blues rock player. And that's what I love. That's what I've always done. It's what I'm always going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that a little bit and, and talk about Shorty because, you know, especially back in the 60s and 70s, when your son or daughter came and said to you, I want to be a, a rock star, you'd say, shut up, get a haircut and go get a job. Um how important was it, first of all, that he supported the musical endeavors and didn't tell you to cut your hair and go be a cop or cut your hair and go be a lawyer or whatever? Well, kind of funny because my, as I was growing up listening to records and playing guitar, was pretty well laid out what I was going to do. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I loved music so much that I lived it, breathed it, ate it, the whole bit. And the whole, through the whole walk of my life, um, like at a young age, uh, I took up playing drums and actually started playing drums for my dad's own band and played drums for him off and on all throughout my early age from about eight till about 12, 13 years old. And you did some drumming with Skinner too. Absolutely. And and the deal is, I was so immersed in music, and 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 the only thing my grandfather and grandmother said, you know, you can do this, and and do this, but you know, you can do this as long as you make great grades in school, and you know, get your high school education. You know what I mean? And in which I did. I was a good student. I made great grades. So, you know, in the midst of it, my parents, that was the only stipulation that they ever made is just that I graduated school, you know, that I wanted to drop out and didn't get into, you know, and the deal is we all get in trouble when we're teenagers. It's only natural, but I didn't get in any like really serious problems, you know, because I was always immersed into playing guitar and, and singing and, and into music, listening to it, living it, you know, 
And then all throughout the history of, you know, the, the early years of my life, along comes the Beatles. I remember all that going on. Uh, the whole thing, the Beatle era, I flipped out. Then all of a sudden, what comes next? Then comes, you know, the days of Cream and Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck and Led Zeppelin and all these great groups. And I followed all that stuff. I saw these bands live. Uh, I was at the, I was in Jacksonville in 1964 at the Gator Bowl, which on the new movie by Ron Howard, the Beatles talk. They they have that section in there for about 10 minutes talking about Jacksonville. Well, I was at that show. I still got my ticket from it. Wow. And the deal is, I went to see all these great acts. I saw Hendrix when he opened for the Monkees on his first tour. Um. I saw The Cream. I saw Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, I saw all these great bands that come through Jacksonville. Tons of bands, famous bands. And I was so immersed into rock music. And that's what I wanted to do. And um, I stayed with it, stuck it out, you know, and, and just always had this belief in my heart. I never worried about, oh, God, am I going to make it? And you know, am I going to make a living out of this? Da, 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 da. I, for somehow inside myself, knew that it would all work out. And what happened? I was in Leonard Skinner first time, cut a record with them, uh, got out of Leonard Skinner, did Blackfoot, cut records with them. And then all of a sudden, things happened the way they did. The Skinner record that I was on, the first and the last, boom, triple platinum. Next thing you know, Blackfoot puts out a record, strikes, double platinum. And all of a sudden, it all worked out. And and all of a sudden, we was into it. And then, at a certain point in our life, the, the music changed, the business changed, record labels changed. And the next thing you know, it came crashing down around our ears. But for me, I said, you know what? There will be another day. There will be another day of reckoning, and things will work out. And what happens? 1995, I get a call in December to come do the uh, premiere of Freebird, the movie. Uh, the first, and the first night, we had a jam session uh, that first night, and then the next night was the premiere. But the first night, when we had the all-star jam session, Skinner's manager looked over at my manager and said, we need to put Ricky back in Skinner. And in 1996, of March of 96, I was back in the band and been there ever since. Yeah, 20, 20 years this year. Now, uh, before getting to Southern Native and Blackfoot and how all that came about, um, I, I, I do want to finish one question with, with Shorty. He wrote Train Train, and we mentioned the album Strikes. Um, you know, there, there's one thing being a supportive father or a supportive grandfather, but it's quite another to actually go to work uh, with your grandson or your son, grandson in your case, what was that like for you to actually have him in the creative process and and be part of future music that you were creating together? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I remember having the original recording, which I still got on record, um, on a big, thick record that plays at about, what, 78, you know? But I remember having the very first recording of Train Train, his version. And uh, it was cool. It was more Delta Blues type country stuff. And I remember thinking, you know, what a, what a really good tune this is, you know, but not really flipping out to the point of what I, like I did some of the rock songs, you know. Then all of a sudden what happens is, in 1978, when we were cutting the Strikes record, we needed one song to finish off the record. And I happened to remember Train Train. And um, I brought it up in rehearsal with our manager, who was our producer at the time. And I said, you know, there's a song my grandfather wrote called Train Train. And uh, let me try to figure out how we can do this. And I'm sitting there with the guitar and I'm playing it. And all of a sudden I started playing that opening riff. And uh, it just all of a sudden, it came to me how to arrange the song and how to make it happen. And the rest is history. Yeah. And, and so, 
it, it was pretty special for me because it was kind of like, oh, I don't know, Mitch. It was kind of like giving back. Uh, it was kind of like giving back to my parents at that time in 79. It was kind of like giving back to them what all they had sacrificed for me. And all of a sudden we had a, a hit song. And, you know, it sold, what, platinum, you know what I mean? And I was able to give back to my, give back to my grandparents uh, for, you know, everything they'd done for me. And, and, and when I was a kid, they pretty well much saved my life. And uh, because, you know, at the time, my biological mother was young and very young. She was 16 years old. And back in those days, you know, it's kind of frowned down upon for a young girl like that to get pregnant and, you know, the guy not want to marry and, and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So my oh, yeah, grandparents, yeah. rather rather than me going to an orphanage uh, and be put up for adoption, you know, they said, no, no, we're not having that. There ain't, there ain't no way we're going to let that happen. And uh, so they took me, adopted me, and uh, there I am, man. I, I grew up in a music family. Not only my grandfather played, but all his brothers they played. My great uncles, they played. Uh, my mother, my biological mother, she sang. And uh, great singer, you know. But uh, it all worked out well, man. I mean, I, here I am. I'm 66. And um, I'm still doing it. I look at Skinner like the Southern Southern Rock Rolling Stones. You know what I mean? We, uh, we just keep on keeping on and against adversities and, and all kind of criticisms and, and all that stuff. And we don't really pay any attention to it, man. We just, you know what? We're so proud of what the band has accomplished and the history of the band and where, how far we've come, you know what I mean? So, uh, I, I'm very proud of that history and, and very, I feel very blessed and fortunate that I've been able to be a part of it, you know? Yeah. And, and um, uh... You know, the, and I'll make a, a, a quick admission. I first heard Train Train uh, in the mid-'80s done by a band called Warrant on an album they had called Cherry Pie. I had grown up listening to Kiss and Cheap Trick, and, and I discovered it later because, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, almost 20 years younger than you. And so I heard it later, and I went, wow, that's a really great song. And, and then I looked at the liner notes, and I saw that it was written by Shorty and not by, you know, Janie Lane. And I went, okay. And then... I went back and discovered the real version, uh, not that their version was, you know. And so, yeah. so, so there you go. Uh, and then in terms of Skinner, of course, um, the band does do a lot of shows, and you said they're sort of like, you're, you're like the Rolling Stones. So you, you do a lot of shows, but it's, there's a lot of American shows. You don't really get out of the States that often. I think you were up in Ottawa last year or the year before. Um, is that something that you would like to see more of, where the band can get out? and do a show in Europe or do more shows overseas? Uh, I mean, there are some, but it's not a lot. Is that something that you well, would like to... Well, you know what? Uh, if, if you go back and you look at the history of Blackfoot after the Strikes record come out, right. you know, we were, we were a big band in Europe. Yes. We toured Europe extensively. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, right now today... I can tell you that the new Blackfoot has been offered all these shows in Europe, especially if I come along with them. And I do make special appearances with them now. Um, for instance, getting ready to play BB Kings in New York City coming up in November uh, for one night on a Tuesday night. And uh, the show's doing really well. But, and then another one is in Chicago at the Arcata. And, uh, I don't know, man, I, I wish, honestly, I really wish Skinner would explore, uh, you know, doing more shows outside of the United States, because I think that fans who have been, you know, for the band all this time and, uh, you know, bought the records and, and, and so forth and so on. I've always been a fan guy that I think that you owe the fans a lot. Uh, I think that every successful artist, and I don't care who they are, 
and I don't care what they say, you owe those fans uh, a part of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I, you, I agree fully. Because you, because you got to where you got to where you are, and the and the things that you're able to have, and the life you're able to live because of those fans. And I think about that all the time. I think about that every night when we're standing there playing all these great songs. Uh, you know, I want to keep. I want to stand there and just play song after song after song after song. And um, one of the things that's really cool is that these personal appearances that I've made with Foot, you know, the band's booked for 75 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever. Oh, hell, man, we turned it into two hours, two hours and 15 minutes because we don't want to get off the stage. I mean, <laughs> and, and, I, and I want to deliver everything that I can to those people that paid their hard-earned dollar to get in to see that. You know what I mean? So I do wish we would, you know, we had a great tour last year, last winter, you know, of Canada, all the way across Canada. And it was incredible. People came out from everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to do more of that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds, what next year holds. Uh, we want to go back to Australia and New Zealand. We had a great welcoming over there, and it was just an incredible trip. And so, uh, you know, we want to go back to South America. Uh, we've had some good times there. And uh, we've had good times in Japan. I'd like to go back there and also Europe. But we'll see what the future holds. You yeah, know? it really was. Now, so we're, we're 20 minutes in, and we haven't talked at all about Southern Natives. So, so let's talk about <laughs> that. Uh, you know, because that, that, that's, that's the purpose here. So let's talk about Southern Native. Um, talk to me about, you know, band versus brand because you started this around 2012 and you 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 got these guys you got them in a room you you know you 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 helped out you 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 mastered it all together and uh, but well, you, but you but you have blackfoot it, it's the brand why not call it this band southern native why why you know so so talk to me the, about the importance of that of, of brand well first. here's here, here's the deal okay if you think about how long ago the brand was started, has been three, almost four generations ago. There is a generation out here. Um, there's a generation out here, or generation and a half, almost two generations, that really have never heard of Blackfoot. And if they have... They might have heard the song, but they don't. They can't put the name with the song. Uh, what happened was, is that the idea came from huh, seven years. I had leased the name to the original guys to go out and play under that name without me. Um, I and, and I, for my own reasons. Uh, didn't want to do it. Uh, I was very busy with Leonard Skinner and had made a full-time commitment in Skinner. But uh, the original guys did a legal thing where they took me into court and wanted to obtain the name for themselves. Um, it came back that I legally owned the name. And so what we ended up doing, we made a deal. And the deal was I would let them use the name to go out, play under the name, make a living, blah, 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 for seven years on a lease deal. At the end of the seven years, when the, lease, when the, when the time period was up, uh, the, the band had the option, they all had the option of doing it again. I mean, they could make another deal with me and doing it again. Just could not come to terms and, you know, and settle on, you know, the business end of it. Um, at that time, the name came back to me. Okay. So, in doing so, um, what happened was, was that uh, a, a partner of ours, mine and Al Nally, 
down in Florida at, at, uh, in real estate and at the studio and so forth and so on, partner of ours came to us and said, I have this idea. Okay, what's the idea? The idea was was to uh, do a brand new generation for a new generation of Blackfoot. And I listened to the idea, and he said it would be uh, four young guys. And I have been reading for years uh, little pieces here and there where Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley had explored the idea at some point of letting four, you know, unknown guys do the makeup and do kiss. I knew that, you know, there was a, there was a version of foreigner out with no of the original members and they were doing pretty well out playing. And they sound great by the way. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen seen them three times and they sound absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, man. So what happened I said, you know, my, my manager and I, Al, we said, let us think about this, you know. Give us several days and let's think about this. So what happened is that uh, I thought about it for quite a while. I'm thinking to myself, how's this going to work, you know. And I finally came up with, uh, I've got this idea. So we all met again. And we got back together with Eric, who is now their manager. Got back together with Eric and Al and myself. And I said, you know what? Al and I, pardon me, I've come to the conclusion that, or come to to the decision that we will do it with this stipulation. And that was, if I could produce the record, uh, write on it, and, you know, and, and being a producer, of course, if the opportunity arose, I would play on it, sing on it in some capacity, blah, 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 blah. But my main thing was producing and writing. Well, we made that agreement. Then we started out with looking for the right combination of players. And, you know, trying people and, and, and bringing them in and then letting them go and trying people, letting them go. Finally... Uh, settled on Tim Rossi and the bass player at the time, Brian Carpenter. They had played around the area together for years. <clears throat> Tim, incredible guitar player, really an outstanding musician, period. Um, I really took to him right when I saw him playing. I went, wow, his hands are so seasoned. He's got that touch. He's got that feel, the tone, everything, you know? So it started from there and it went from there to the drummer. We found the drummer, Matt, right into another guitar player, vocalist, which is Rick Krasowski that we've got. And there you go. And so what happened? I produced the record and took it in and we had the opportunity. We said, you know, do we really want to try? We knew we were going to meet up against uh, adversaries and, and objections and brick walls because we're calling it Blackfoot. But to be real, to be honest, uh, what I was more concerned about was keeping that legacy name and the music going on, going forward. Because I couldn't recall Jack because Jack had passed away. And once a band has been together and had that magic, there was a certain magic that they had at one time. It's hard, in my opinion, for four guys to get together again after everything, after all the whiskey under the bridge, and recreate that magic that made it great at at one time. And so I said, let's go. Let's try it. I'll put everything on the line. I'll record the record. I'll take that upon myself, and I'll help get the record deal. And that's what we did. 
And uh, I know that I know that a lot of people are like, eh, you know, I'm questioning it. But when you go see the band, the older fans, even the older fans, ninety percent of them have walked out going, "That's a hell of a band. That's a great band." And they did the classics justice uh, when they did them, because what I told the band was, I said, "Guys." Like, I remember when we did the cover of Wishing Well by Free. We took that song and made it ours. You know, we loved the original version, but we played it and made it our own. And it was one of the most requested songs we ever had in our vocabulary. And, and, you know, in our repertoire, you know what I mean? So that's what we did, man. That's how the whole thing came about. Uh, That's what it's doing right now. And the band's out playing. And they're kicking some, kicking some butt, and it's a building process once again. You know, in today's record business and in today's world, you're not going to chin the world right away and have instant success. It takes time to build it, and especially in rock music, because I believe rock music is right back to where it used to be, being underground. Everything is more pop. Everything is more country pop, hip-hop, you know, all that stuff. And uh, rock music is at the bottom of the pecking order, except for in places like Europe and South America and places like that where it's still, you know, it's still the hip thing. But uh, it's a building process. The guys are already wanting me to get back in the studio with them. They got more songs to record. We want to get another record together and continue on. So there you have it. Yeah, and and by the way, you know, I I agree that a band... And a brand should get to go on, and I always compare it to a baseball team. You might have grown up loving Babe Ruth, or you might have grown up loving Mickey Mantle, or whoever, Reggie Jackson. But just because they've retired, does that mean you should stop liking the Yankees? And the answer is, of course not. You should, of course, be a fan of, you know. And and I see that as a band as well, too. I mean, at some point, things have to move on, and, and... a new generation of guys that come in and, and, and again, back to the baseball analogy, there's new baseball yeah. players that come in and, and they're, they're fantastic. And let's cheer for the home team for crying out loud. Now, having said that though, in terms of music, in terms of the sound of the band, uh, do the guys, you know, does Tim and Rick and Brian and Matt, do they have sort of a freedom to do what they want musically or do you sort of say, no, that's not a song that Blackfoot would do. No, that's not how we would have done. You know, in, in terms of music, how much latitude do they have to be the band that does their music? And mm-hmm. how much are they tied into, well, we've got a legacy and our fans wouldn't dig what you're doing. You know, you can't have drum loops and and rap uh, rap section in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, here's, here's, here's my take on... First of all, I've worked with a lot of producers and some well-known producers. A lot of them I really liked working with, but there was a lot of them, and I won't name names, that I didn't like because it had to be their way. And if it wasn't going to be their way, they would get somebody in there to play it like they wanted it. Well, to me, that's bullshit, okay? You you take a band and produce them, and what you got to do as a producer you got to dig way down inside the person and pull out his natural, his or her natural talent and put it down on tape. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I'm a fan of Kiss and, and those bands and, and Alice Cooper. And, and, you know, Bob Ezrin is a great producer, but yeah. I always thought that Bob Ezrin made great Bob Ezrin records. I never thought that Bob, and I love Bob, I just never thought he made great Kiss records because he didn't get the guys from Kiss. He would bring in Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter and so on and so forth. And you go, but that's not the point. The point is to get Ace and Peter to play the best that Ace and Peter, (laughs) you know. That's right. So what I did was I told the guys, I said, look, guys, I said, I'm going to produce this record. And I promise you that each one of you guys will be able to always hear your instrument. Because a lot of musicians will complain, well, I can't hear the drums that well, or I can't hear this rhythm guitar that well, or that lead, or, you know, da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? 
that the next thing I promised the guys, I said, look, this is going to be old school meets new school head on. And it's going to crash into each other. And when the people hear this record, they're going to hear new, but they're going to hear the essence of what was. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I believe, like, for instance, Southern Native. Southern Native had been a song laying around uh, in in my catalog of... However, how many tons of songs, but it had been a song laying around for many years, many years since about what, 1994, something like that. And I broke it out and played it for the guys and let them mess with it. And that's what they came up with. Well, took Tim in the studio, put him on the microphone, and I you know, led Tim through all the stuff. And as a singer pulled out of him, what I knew was inside of him, but just guided him with melodies and phrasing and being able to sing certain ways. Cause I'm a lead singer. Um, I'm a guitar player. Tim would get started on stuff and I would give Tim a lot of rope. And when it got, too out of hand, I'd rein it back in to put it in context of the song. Same thing with the drummer, same thing with the bass player, same thing with everybody. I think that what you have to do is you have to let the guy that you're working with or the band of guys that you're working with have self-expression. Let them do what they do and keep it in context and hone it in to make it work on record. You follow what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know what? We worked. Tim couldn't believe the ideas, how many ideas that I would constantly be coming up with over and over and over and over and over again. And that's one thing that he has told everybody doing interviews. It was incredible to work with Ricky because his head is full of thousands of ideas over and over again. And uh, when we'd get stuck on something, boom, he'd just pull one of them out. And um, to me, that's how you create greatness, you know? Now, our first record here, I thought we did really good on this record. I thought the sounds, the drum sounds were kick-ass. I thought the guitar sounds were kick-ass. Everything fell in. Next record... We'll turn a little bit of a corner and make it even better. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this because about- the guys now, the guys have been in the studio. They've got a they've got a record under their belt. Then they're going to know what Ricky's going to want on the next record, and it will happen naturally. You know what I mean? And I mean, and this album, uh, you know, I've 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 listened to it and I've bought it. It it really does sound. Great, and and it's it's interesting because when I play it, I see it as being a new band with a new sound, and so I don't think it's Blackfoot of 1970, whatever. I think it's this new entity, and they're a great new band. They're, they're, they just really sound yeah. great together. Good. Now, well, I, I, I got to tell you, Mitch, yeah. when I recorded this record, I did a lot of listening. And I know that the band probably got a little frustrated. I could tell they were getting, because I spent a lot of time and I recorded them and I recorded them just like I wanted to. I wanted it to be raw, unrefined, heavy blues rock. That's what I wanted out of them. Um, When I started the mixes, that's when everything for me kicked in. I would listen and listen and listen, compare it to other records, listen to other records, listen to the the heaviest of heavy bands, down to the lightest of bands, down to, uh, you know, contemporary rock or, or active rock or modern rock or whatever. And what I did was I listened and I would mix. 
And once I had it in there in the vicinity, I would play it. You know, me and Al would get in my one of my vehicles that we would ride around. I got my vehicle set up really cool with a good sound system that my ears are used to, just like my mix room and just like at the big cutting room. And I listened on probably seven or eight pairs of speakers. And once I had gotten that song where it sounded great on all of them, I knew I had it. I knew it. That's funny. Cause and that's I, what you're, and I, that's what you're hearing right now. That, that, that's funny that you did that. Cause I, I've, I've been involved in a few different albums over the years and I always have what I call the car test. It sounds great in the studio, but if you plug it into your CD player in the car or your cassette tape back in the day, if it, if it sounds good there, you know you have a winner. And if it doesn't oh, sound dude, good in the car, <laughs> you know you got it. Then all of a sudden, yeah. there's I got one of my trucks, man, which is a Toyota Tundra. Right. It's got a JBL system in it, and it's one of the older Toyos, Tundras from 2005. And I wouldn't take nothing for that sound system in that truck. It For somehow, I've got it dialed in. And as soon as I would slap one of those discs in there, and as soon as it would come up, I'd go, I got it. Nope, I don't have it. Back to the drawing board. And I would listen, and I would listen, and I would listen. The band was like, holy shit, is he ever going to finish with this? But you know what? As soon as I finished the last one, and I let everybody hear it, we had a listening party at the studio. They all just sat there with their mouth open like, holy shit. Are you kidding? You know what I mean? And that's what I want to see him do. I want them to be happy, and those guys are so happy with that record right now, you know, and uh, it's off to the next. Yeah. So, so let's talk about some of that, because I, I know we're, we're way over time in, in, in terms of, but um, you were part of the last album, After the Rain, that also had Zach Wilde come in and, and do a yeah. track, which you got to love Zach. I mean, that guy's crazy talented. Oh, he's like, a great friend, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it difficult for you coming into this new album with the new band to to step away and not be sort of you know the voice of it or the main guitarist on it and 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 you know why because you're still out there touring with Leonard Skinner and stuff why not do both and tour with Blackfoot on a more regular basis where it's your band and you're up front and you know not just guest appearances why did you well, let it go you know, I did that after the original band broke up. Right. And it led me to a crossroad in my life where I didn't know where I was going to go. I was, I was broken down. I was like, I wasn't broke monetarily because I had done great. You know, I had platinum success and stuff and had some great people watching over me. But I, I didn't get in this business for the, I didn't get into this business for the money. Or, or the fame and the fortune. I got in this business for the love of music, for the art of it, for the creativeness of it. That was important to me. And so when I had the band going, that I was out there touring around with the band and had other musicians, I came to a crossroads, man, and I just, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> I just didn't know where I was going to go. And how I was going to get to where, to another plane and, and get to another level. And I was out there just like beating the bushes and, and beating my head against the wall, you know. And all of a sudden, with the faith that I have, and I knew, I kept telling my manager, I said, you just wait. Something's coming. I know it is. I feel it. Something is coming. And we're going to be back up. And sure enough, it happened in 96. So. For me to try to do both, um, I've always wanted to be a producer and get myself into producing uh, bands and or artists. And this was my calling card. And would you know? And wouldn't you know it? I've already had uh, my management has had a couple of calls from some young bands over in Europe looking to maybe do a project. And so you know. I love being on that other side of the, of the, of the uh, glass looking in, you know, cause I've been on the other side 
looking into the to the producer and the engineer and and having problems with it. Now I'm on the other side and thinking about those guys looking in and and really want to do greatness. You know what I mean? Yep. And um that's where I'm at. Okay, so so let me let me ask you about the producing thing real quick. Um After the Rain was that album that we mentioned and you produced it. Is there yeah. Is there a danger when an artist produces himself? I mean, is it is it necessary to have outside ears and have somebody that say, "Yeah, I know you did a great song here, but uh, you know." Of course. Okay. You are you are so right. Okay. Of course, it's dangerous because here's what you got to learn how to do. You got to like you got to like take yourself out of your own body, and you got to be able to be objective and look at it from the other side and for a lot of artists that's hard to do you know what i mean to listen back to your stuff and go you know what that sucks because everybody wants to think that their stuff is great you know what i mean oh yeah now me now me i i beat myself up over songs i mean i whoop my own ass like jim carrey did in the movie you know what i mean liar liar I'm kicking my own ass. You know, the deal is you got to be able to be objective into your own entity, because if you're not, you're shortchanging yourself and you're shortchanging the song and the music and the artist. You know what I mean? And eventually the fans. So, yes. All, uh, the, well, I was going to say, right. especially the people that buy it. You know what I mean? So, it is a dangerous it is a dangerous game and it's always good i've got my manager al who's been you know been together almost 39 years he was the original producer for the original blackfoot well guess what i, I would take it, i would take the songs over me and him would ride around in that one truck of mine and listen and we would look at each other going holy shit here it is you know and when i when we did that i knew i had it and I was ready to move on to the next tune, you know? Yeah, so uh, let me ask you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up on the Skinner question, but uh, just quickly, looking back on After the Rain now, you know, it's 22 years later, you produced yeah. it. Do you look back on that now and say, man, that's a kick-ass album, or do you go, oh, I should have done this here, oh, I should have done that there? Oh. Like, how, how do you look back on that, at the album that you, you produced? You know what, man? Yeah. I never question... I never like to go back and question myself. Okay. Of course, we can all do better. We can, we all all of us look back on stuff that we've played on or or been a part of or whatever and go, man, boy, I wish I could go back and redo that one little part there. I could do it. You know what? <laughs> it's all relative, man. You can't go back. You 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 just do what you do and you live with it. That's all. And I listened to the After the Rain record, and for the for the time at that time, and for the studio, and the personnel and equipment and so forth. Hey, I thought you know what? I thought we did a good job. I really do. Yeah, and you've got so, Zach on it, so you can't complain. No, no, um, no. I, I don't. No complaints at all, brother. So four years ago, Last of the Dying Breed uh, was uh, Skinner's last album. Where are we in terms of new music? And the final question will be, is it even important for a band like Skinner to do new music? Because you put your name on the marquee, fans are going to come, they're going to see the songs that they want to see. You don't really have to do anything. You can just show up and play, and you're going to get that audience. So, Well, you know what? I think for any band... right. I, I don't care who you are. I think it's important to keep exploring your avenues. I really do. Because you can, you know, you can sit back and rely on your laurels and, and you know, and your past and so forth and so on. And I know that bands do it a lot and do it all the time. I've always been one for, come on, guys, let's go. Let's try something new. Let's just keep putting them out. You know, until we decide one day to call it quits. Well, oddly you say that because Gary and Johnny and I just got together not too long ago. 
and found about 15, 16 tunes that we had written and did demos on and so forth and so on that we believe that we've got a good five or six in there that need to come out, that need to be put out. So that's something that we're working toward right now, maybe for 2017. We'll see. As an EP or as a full album? Uh, we'll see. We've even thought about putting out one song at a time, you know, like putting out a single and, uh, you know, promoting it, letting it ride for three months, then another single, three months, then another single, three months. We'll see. I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how important a whole CD is to a band like Leonard Skinner at this point. You know what I mean? Um, we'll see. I don't know. Well, and see, and, and that, that's sort of what I mentioned, because you, you look at a band, and I, in particular Twisted Sister, they, they had We're Not Gonna Take It, everybody knows it, you've heard it on radio, commercials, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And when you talk to Dee Snyder and you say, or, or a JJ, and say, let's, let's make a new album, they go, why? So that people have a, a built-in pee break during the show? There's, there's no point. And that's right. one perspective. And then there's other bands, whether it's U2, or we've got, we got to keep making something new because we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to keep moving forward. We're creative. That's what artists do. And, you know, Skinner can, can sort of do both, right? You can create new music because that's what you do, or you can just sit back and say, listen, let's just play the classics and off we go. And, and, and I don't think anybody would begrudge that, quite frankly. No, I, I mean, I don't think anybody would, but you know what? Skinner's got such a great catalog of songs that every once in a while, man, it's really great to go back and pull out something that's not of the standard, the old, and pull out a new song and just throw it on people. You know what I mean? Out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, if it's the right kind of song, they won't want to take a piss break. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what we try to do sometimes. And it's been it's been a, a a storied career, Ricky. Absolute pleasure. Um, I could have done two hours, but at some point we've got to <laughs> we got to wrap it up and, and say thank you. But um, you know, the new Blackfoot for those who haven't heard it, definitely please head over to iTunes or Amazon or wherever you get your music and, and check it out. Yep. It is just a solid rock album. Um, don't prejudge it. Just go buy it. See it as a new band. It is a great, great uh, thing, and and if the band comes to town, just you know, spend the ten bucks on a ticket and and enjoy your Tuesday night because it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, buddy, you better believe it. And look, Mitch, thank you so much for your time yeah. and uh, giving me a call, man. I've really enjoyed this with you, and uh, I hope to see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ricky. Later, brother. Bye bye. Bye bye now. And there you have it, folks. My interview with the extremely talented Ricky Medlock of Blackfoot and, of course, Leonard Skinner. Head over to blackfootband.com to find out more. And please check out the new album, Southern Native. I think you'll quite enjoy that. And with that, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. Facebook, one-on-one Mitch Lafon, and paypal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon should you care to support the podcast. And with that... I say au revoir, bye-bye, au Wiedersehen. I'm out of here. Bye for now. Oh, my.